0: Have you ever found yourself frozen by the fear of failure? Ever felt so afraid of losing the game that you didn't even wanna step out on the playing field? When I was about 14, I had a crush on a girl I'll call Deborah and we were friends and would sometimes talk on the phone in the evenings. This was just 20, 23 or 24 years ago, but it was before texting. Before teenagers had cell phones, and we actually still pushed buttons and talked to each other on the phone in the evenings. And every time I went to call her, the anxiety set in. and I'd sit there looking at the phone, seconds ticking by, minutes ticking by. Sometimes I'd pick up the phone and my fingers would go to the keys, only to quickly set down the handset before I'd even finished dialing. Eventually, finally, I'd pluck up the courage and call her. And we'd talk for a while and I would always be trying to gauge how things were going, but never quite having the courage to tell her about my crush. Now it turned out that Deborah didn't actually like me back in that way. We stayed just friends and I survived and went on to other crushes and other relationships. But what I remember is those endless minutes with my finger poised above the keypad, agonizing and not in my gut. Unable to act because I was too afraid of what might or might not happen if I did. But of course, not acting is also a choice. So often, the fear of failure is worse than the failure itself. Failure happens and we go on, but fear keeps us stuck. Fear keeps us from going on, fear keeps us frozen. Today we heard a parable about three servants, but on the face of it, to tell the truth, it's a fairly unsatisfying story. Two servants play the market and make a bundle and get rewarded. And a third one plays it careful and gets punished. And as a literal story, it seems very much like the opposite of good news. Jesus goes as far as to say, to those who have, more will be given but from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Which is essentially to say the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. We didn't need Jesus to tell us that. Certainly not in our society today. We're truly in the last decades, the rich have been getting richer and the poor have been getting poorer. And so it sounds like this story is kind of a truism, a kind of reflection of, yes, the unfortunate way things are. And it doesn't sound much like what we'd expect from the same Jesus who said that he came to preach good news to the poor. But, of course, a parable is always about more than it seems. And, of course, there's also always more than one way to read a parable. We're meant to enter into these stories, twist and turn them every which way, find a pathway in on one day, that may be different from the pathway we take in on the next. And so I wanna offer one reading or one hearing of this parable today. And I wanna suggest today that we try on hearing this parable as being not about success, but about faith. Or if the word faith sounds too churchy and has been bleached of all its meaning to our ears, let's just use the word trust. Let's hear this today as a story about trust not a story about working hard and getting rewarded, but a story about trusting a God who's the ultimate safety net, trusting a God whose infinite desire is to be generous and loving whether we succeed or whether we fail. So think how the master acts in this story. First of all, he puts enormous sums of money into his servant's care. A talent, one of these old Bible words, It has nothing to do with the talents and skills that we talk about in English today. A talent in the ancient world is a sum of money that's worth something like several hundred thousand dollars today. So even the servant who only gets one is holding a huge amount. And then this master goes away without so much as giving any instructions about what they should do with it. And two of the servants accept the faith that he puts in them, the trust that he puts in them and they show trust in return. They take a risk. Their risk pays off. And One commentator has pointed out that in this story, the fact that each of them exactly doubles his money kind of suggests that the growth, in a sense, is automatic. It's reminiscent of the way that seeds bear fruit in some of Jesus's other parables. The seed grows by itself, not depending on its skill or effort, and not depending on the servant's skills or efforts. They just toss this stuff into the market and trust and wait. But the third servant is different. Instead of acting out of faith, instead of acting out of trust, he acts out of fear. His fear makes him choose not to act at all. By burying his money in the ground, he avoids the possibility of loss by foreclosing the possibility of gain. It's as if I had never picked up the phone in the first place. He doesn't accept the faith the master has put in him. And what's more, he has no faith in the master. Consider his image of the master. It's a harsh and cruel one. He says it right out. He says, I know you are a harsh man. So I was afraid of you, and I went and hid your money in the ground. And in the end, he creates a self-fulfilling prophecy for himself. What is our image of the master? Is it a harsh and cruel one? We aren't told in this story what the master actually would have done if any of the servants had ended up losing their money. I'd like to think that perhaps he would have been fine with that. After all, he says he would have accepted even the tiniest amount of interest. And so it doesn't seem that he's invested in the outcome so much as in the servants' willingness to try. In their willingness to just step forward in faith, in trust, in response to the trust that he's put in them. There's a famous line in this story when he congratulates the first two servants And our translation has the master say, good and trustworthy. But more familiar in English is, well done, good and faithful servant. And actually, for the word here, that's a better translation, faithful. Because the English word faithful can have two senses. It can mean you're trustworthy. But it can also mean trusting, full of faith. Faithful can mean someone who is worthy of faith. Faithful can mean someone who has a lot of faith. And it's just like that in the Greek word, pistos. And I wonder if we can read this story as saying that the master is congratulating the first two servants, not so much for being worthy of faith, but for having faith. Being faithful, full of faith, full of trust. Whether they win or whether they lose, they have enough trust in the master to risk it all, to hold tight that their status with the master is not about the money, not about whether they win it or lose it. It may have been Mother Teresa who said, God calls us not to be successful, but to be faithful. God calls us not to be successful, but to be faithful. These are times when we may often feel like there is very little that we can do to influence the course of the world around us, a world that often seems to be falling into disarray, a world of confusion, a world of false truths, a world of fear, a world of political chaos, a world of inequality, a world of racism, a world where it all sometimes seems like too much. And in this world, It can be easy to be fearful. It can be easy to think, I cannot possibly be successful. My sphere of influence is too small. I cannot control. I cannot change things. And not to step out at all. God calls us not necessarily to be successful, but to be faithful. And faithful doesn't necessarily mean that we are so great and trustworthy, it just means we have trust in the God who is there for us, whether we stand or fall. Just like the servants, God has given us an incredible, lavish gift, a gift beyond any counting, the gift of new life, new life in Jesus Christ. We didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. It's not ours in the first place, but God has put it into our hands. And all God asks is that we don't hoard that gift for ourselves, but that we get out and share it with the world. It's not up to us to make sure it multiplies. God can take care of the outcome, but all we're called to do is live boldly and truthfully, not to hide our light under a bushel basket, not to hide our money in the ground. What we're called to do in short is to love, And as anybody who's ever had a child, or who's ever had a partner, or who's ever had a friend or a sibling, as anyone knows, you can't love and play it safe. You just can't love someone without risking getting hurt. But the real disaster isn't loving and getting hurt. It's not loving at all. Jesus didn't play it safe. When he came to live as one of us, he stepped out in the ultimate trust. He trusted God and gave it all away. Power, glory, status, security, and in the end, his life itself. And God repaid that trust. So that not only does Jesus live his own life again, his life has been multiplied fivefold and tenfold and thousandfold and millions and billionsfold because that life is in you and in me when we are his disciples. That life flowed into us when we were baptized into his body. And it keeps flowing out through us every time we step out to follow him. I wonder how that life will flow out through you today. I wonder how you'll follow Jesus by living boldly, taking a risk and sharing what God has given you with the world.